More than a pleasure to have with us Benjamin Johnson. Benjamin is executive director of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, the AILA, in Washington, D.C., and they are a national association of more than 14,000 immigration attorneys established to promote justice, advocate for fair and reasonable immigration law and policy, and advance the quality of immigration and nationality law and practice, and enhance the professional development of its members. More than a pleasure to have with us Benjamin Johnson. Benjamin, good afternoon and welcome. Good to have you with us. Oh, thank you, Leslie. It's good to be here. I've heard so many things, and I live in Southern California, where we have the highest percentage of Hispanics in the United States in this state, the highest percentage of undocumented workers, highest percentage of Muslims, um, the list goes on. Um, uh, First of all, how much do immigrants out there have to fear who have undocumented members in their family. And I ask you that, Benjamin, because there are people out there, as you know, who are pro-Trump or trying to backpedal a bit. We heard Trump and saw him on 60 Minutes. But the the problem is that Trump lies so much. And I'm sorry, I know he's going to be president, but that's a reality when you look at the fact check. Um, He says we're going to deport 2 to 3 million criminals. There aren't 2 to 3 million. Now people are saying 800,000, and that number is even lower because – uh, you know, of course, there's just there's so much here. So let me break it down. First of all, one could argue that all over 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country are criminals because they've broken the law. So um, one, speak to that with Donald Trump, our incoming president, talking about the criminal element, because stealing a pack of gum and raping or murdering somebody are very, two very different crimes. Benjamin? Yeah, Leslie, I mean, there's a lot there. Look, I, I think the truth is, you know, fear. You know, fear can be debilitating, and uh, and 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 fear can be paralyzing. So, I, I mean, I don't. I don't think anybody should be fearful. They need to be informed. Uh, there is plenty to be concerned about, as you said. A lot of things were said on this camp during this campaign. It's not clear which of the statements that he made uh, will end up, you know, being followed through on. But if he follows through, follows through on just a handful of them. You know, it, it could really impact a lot of people. So the best thing that people can do is turn that fear into action. Find out what your rights are. Find out, talk to somebody, talk to a lawyer, talk to uh, somebody in the community that you trust that has a license and is a professional here. Don't get scammed by people that are trying to take your money, but get information, right? And for some people, start being more engaged and, and, and more active. Uh, this is a lot of the rhetoric in campaigns are aimed at this sort of nameless, faceless immigrant. When you put names and faces on these people and you realize they live next door to me, they go to church with me, they go to synagogue with me, they're, they work next, you know, right shoulder to shoulder with me in, in, in my job, they, then all of a sudden everybody realizes, oh, well, that immigrant, the immigrant I know, that's a good guy, that's a good, that's a good woman, he's a decent person, right? So that humanizing of the immigrant experience is an important part of how we make it difficult for some of these people to make good on the, the, the angry promises uh, or angry statements that they made. So people need to turn that fear into action, either to get educated or to get involved. Okay, so let's educate on some of the facts. There okay. are children who fear. I kid you not, my nine-year-old, do you know what he said to if my crew saw me post this on Twitter? I kid you not. Um, I was, uh, he, he's been getting up very early since the clock change and he studied hard for a math test today that he is confident he's going to ace. So he's very excited. He was up at like five o'clock in the morning. And, uh, once the sun started to come in, I, I was pulling up, you know, the shade and making the bed and he looked out the window and he said, can we see the wall from here, mom? And when the wall is built, can we still see the supermoon and the sun? And I almost cried. 
Because that's such a, if you think about it, it's so sad that a child would know this or, you know, have to ask that. Uh, we are not a Hispanic, but many of our neighbors, uh, friends, and his classmates are. Um, so let me ask this. The, the fear is out there, and, and what I'm hearing here, especially in Southern California, um, is that it, it's going to be almost like people think of the Nazis pulling Jews out of their homes and out of businesses that, you know, the stormtrooper like law enforcement, uh, whether it's ICE, Homeland Security, just uh, police officers, whether federal, uh, state um, or local are going to come into schools, workplaces and homes and just physically rip people out and, you know, throw them on trucks and drive them across the border and just, you know, dump them in a field. This is what people really fear will happen. Talk to us about A, how close the reality is, even worst case scenario, touches upon that fear, and legally, um, what protections, if any, these individuals have. Well, I mean, those, look, the truth is that the president has a lot of authority on the issue of immigration. We've seen President Obama exercise that authority in more positive ways um, to try to provide some protection to people that were being, you know, I think, victimized by the refusal of Congress to do their job and reform our system and, you know, bring it into the 21st century, that same kind of executive authority, you know, can be used to accomplish very dark and different kinds of uh, results. Um, so, yes, the president has a lot of authority. Um, what we need to remind ourselves and talk to our, our, our elected leaders and our communities about is the fact that because the president can do it doesn't mean that he, he should, and it doesn't mean that we're going to allow it to happen. Um, you know, what he can do should be based on who we are as a country, not on the, you know, the, the limits of his authority. So, uh, you know, I don't want to be, I, don't, I can't sugarcoat the fact that, that if we sit back and do nothing, there is a lot of harm that can be caused using the executive authority. That being said, People have rights. Um, you know, there is still a Constitution in the United States. The Due Process Clause of the Constitution applies to persons, and no matter what anybody says, uh, these are persons, these are human beings, and in our system they are entitled uh, to certain rights uh, and protections, and we are going to do everything that we can. Our members and many other people in the community are going to stand up for the basic principles of due process and fairness that have been the foundation of our judicial system since the very beginning of the formation of this country. Okay, hang on, Benjamin, hang on, not trying to cut you off on that great speech and and what you're saying, not speech. No, 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 I love it. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Benjamin Johnson, Executive Director of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, right after this. We're back with our guest, and we were talking to Benjamin Johnson, Executive Director of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, the AILA, out of D.C. Benjamin, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Please continue what you're saying. My apologies for having to interrupt to go to break. Oh, no, I apologize for my soliloquy there. I, no, I no, I liked it. I was, I was getting into it. That's why I was like, oh, yeah, we have to break. We're on radio. <laughs> hey, well, listen, I would, my point really is that, um, you know, the president does have a lot of authority here, but, uh, you know, fundamental constitutional principles, fundamental principles that underpin our judicial system uh, are still apply. Um, and I think as a country, we need to draw the line not necessarily on – uh, you know what's the f- extent of his authority, but but what's consistent with our values as a nation, right? What what right. should we do, not what could we do, is is what I think we need to be talking about, and I think that involves us all understanding, you know, the important contributions that immigrants in our communities make every day, uh, and quite frankly, the you know the the, the long term consequences of being willing to trade our fundamental values for political 
reasons uh, in, in addressing this problem. Um, Congress needs to fix the immigration system. That's really the best way to address some of the challenges and the, and the fears that people expressed during the, the campaign is to get to work to creating a 21st century immigration system. We haven't reformed our system in over 25 to 30 years. That's the reason that we have the problems that we have. Not, and those problems are going to go away by sending deportation agents out into communities around the country and wreaking fear and havoc um, amongst our, our, our fellow residents. I want to take some calls, but I, I want to talk about a few things first. I live in California, and you may know this is whole Cal exit movement, like Brexit, to, and I don't think that California will secede, even though they could uh, sustain themselves, being the sixth largest economy in the world separately as a state within this country. Um, but when there are people in this state that are saying, much like we're hearing the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, and the governor of New York, Cuomo, um, saying immigrants are safe here. You have a safe place in the city, you have a safe place in the state. And that's what we're hearing in California, and that there are people in California, um, people who do what you do for a living, who are trying, and and politicians, who are trying to see what can they do legally and politically on a state level to protect, you know, their people, because, you know, undocumented workers are a huge part of the economy, especially in a state like California. So, one, with Donald Trump, becoming president and what they do on a federal level, how much can states interfere, if you will, or protect people, if you will? We certainly see federal and state on separate sides with the legalization of marijuana, for example. I mean, the DEA technically could come in and, you know, arrest people, but they're state by state. They're legalizing marijuana. So, you know, how how much of an overreach do the feds have over states if states are able to legally and um, politically, legislatively put measures into play to further protect those individuals? Well, look, you know, I think that interesting analogy to the the issue of uh, legalization of you know of marijuana. I mean, the states aren't able to take away the fact that it's a it's a federal crime or a federal violation. But you know, they, the fact that they have spoken out on that issue has certainly caused the federal government to rethink and redirect its resources elsewhere. Uh, so that's really what we're talking about here. This, you know, I, could the federal government, if a state or a, like California decided to offer some kind of protection? Um, Look, as a matter of law, they can't create legal statuses uh, for these folks under federal immigration law, but they certainly can embrace and encircle and, um, uh, you know, and, and, and work in partnership, you know, with these communities to, to challenge the federal government to say we don't want those things to happen in our neighborhood. If local police, local sheriffs, state uh, law enforcement officials really stood up and said, don't come in here and do that in our communities, I think it would make it very difficult as a matter of politics uh, for the federal government to do that. Whether they can do it as a matter of law, again, goes back to where we started, which this really isn't about laws as much as it's about values. And that kind of a statement from California about who, what are our values and what, are, what do we think is the right thing to do, those are powerful statements. Um, I want to take some calls. Uh, I, you know, I have so many things that you know I, I want to ask. What happens legally if, worst-case scenario, they come for more than just criminals because the numbers for criminals aren't big enough for Donald Trump's uh, you know, rah-rah victory dance, if you will? Um, how likely is it that uh, families could be uh, ripped uh, apart? And, and what happens in a case where a child is a minor in American because they're born here, but their parents came here um, illegally? 
Yeah, I'm glad you raised that again, because it was something you started off with that I didn't uh, respond to, which is this notion that everybody who is here without a status is somehow a criminal. That's, that's not the case. Uh, immigration law is still mostly civil law. Uh, it's much like taxes. Not everybody who fails to file their taxes or makes mistakes in their taxes is a, is a criminal. Um, and just like that, not everybody who's out of immigration status has violated a, a criminal law. Uh, some of the laws over time have been criminalized, um, and so you could have a, an immigration violation that makes you subject to a criminal prosecution. But for the most part, you're exactly right. The overwhelming majority of the undocumented population and certainly the overwhelming majority of the immigrant population um, are not criminals. In fact, every study that's been done on this issue for the last hundred years has showed that immigrants are less likely to commit crime than the native-born. So you're right. There aren't going to be, uh, you know, many criminals for for him to do a, to take a victory lap uh, uh, around in terms of going after them, and I suspect that's part of the concern is that in trying to go after those criminals, they will find there's not enough of them, and they'll pick up, you know, some sorry to use the term, maybe some collateral damage. Find somebody while they're looking for a, a serious criminal, they'll find somebody who they have the ability to arrest. That's a that's a real problem, and we've seen that in immigration enforcement. Before, where they cast a wide net looking for criminals, and when they can't find them, they just catch everybody who's you know caught up in the net. Um, in terms of the children of undocumented immigrants, you know, people that are born here in the United States under the Constitution, under the Fourteenth Amendment of the Constitution, you know, continue to be citizens of the United States. They they cannot be forcibly removed uh, with their. Can parents. we can, can we forcibly remove a, a guardian or parent and leave a minor? Unsupervised. I mean, I have an eight and nine year olds. Nobody leave, could leave them alone. You know what I mean? They can't. They couldn't fend for themselves. They, they couldn't fend for themselves, but they don't have the authority to deport uh, a, a minor. And and it is one of the sad realities of immigration law that oftentimes families make that difficult choice of having to to put a child in the care of a of a relative. Um, you know, it, 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 that's part of why we need to talk about this from a values perspective. Is that Immigration law has the capacity to really wreak havoc on communities and families if it isn't administered in a in a sensible and humane way. But um, and and we need to to, to remind the President Trump of who we are as a nation and um, and make clear that we you know the the kind of devastation that could possibly uh, be inflicted on our communities is not something that that we are willing to tolerate. The children that have been protected uh, through executive order who came here illegally, but obviously, you know, I don't know if you have kids, but you know, it, my kids do what they, they're told. They're my children. And there are people who cross this border with babies in their arms. And certainly those children didn't know that they were breaking any law. And certainly those children um, were not able to make that decision uh, themselves and were part of a family and, you know, did what the family was doing, what they felt was in the best interest of their family. I understand that. I mean, if I didn't have work, if I didn't have money, uh, if my children were suffering and somebody's saying, hey, we're the best and the greatest and our streets are paved with gold, I'm probably going to try and sneak in too, to be honest. Um, but but the what happens now to those children, because here in Southern California, and I'm sure you've seen, not just in Southern California, throughout California and other cities, I saw in Washington, D.C. today, um, there are kids that are petrified um, that they're going to be deported to to a place they don't know is home. Um, uh, you know, Donald Trump says he's going to do a lot in his first 100 days, even on his first day, and some of those are executive orders like this. Could you speak to that? 
Well, I mean, the legal answer is that, uh, unfortunately, under current law, uh, even if you know, there's no intent requirement. Those children who were brought into the United States, and even though they had no intention to violate immigration law, if they don't have a legal status, they, they would be subject to removal. That's exactly why President Obama eventually took action to, to provide some measure of protection to these kids, because what we discovered, uh, as over time Congress refused to do its job and find a way for people to come here legally, these kids grew up and succeeded anyway, and they became valedictorians, and they had opportunities to go to college. And the notion that we would would throw them out of the country that they've ever known and 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 destroy the amazing success that they had been able to achieve was something that that I think all of us recognize as, as intolerable. And the president, uh, President Obama, did what he could in providing some measure of protection. But that measure of protection is temporary. What we need to do now uh, is support those kids. They, in large part, they have that status because they 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 fought for it. They put themselves and their families and their stories out there in front of all of us and said, this is who I am. I am undocumented. I am not the, the boogeyman that, that you think I am. I am a valedictorian. I am a successful student. This is the only place I've ever known. So telling those stories, allowing those, those, those kids uh, to tell their stories was transformative uh, in terms of the politics of immigration. And I think, I hope that President Trump will understand and pause for a moment to think about the potential havoc that he would cause in the lives of these amazing young people. Um, and uh, we have to be part of making that story known, and we've got to be part of making it difficult for president to do what the law might give him the authority to do. Now, uh, that might is important. You know, look, we're all looking at the statute and the laws, and we're finding out what exactly he has the authority to do, when and how he could terminate uh, the, the, the work authorization that's been granted to 750,000 of those amazing kids, many of them you know, have, having permission to, to work now, finding themselves in amazing jobs, doing amazing things, going to college. Uh, we're looking at for every way possible uh, to find some protections for them. I encourage all of them, if you know them, if you're talking to them, uh, encourage them to talk to a lawyer. Get out there and find out what rights and opportunities they have. That's really, really important. The other thing I wanted to ask before we take calls is my understanding is there's a four- to five-year backlog for the individuals that have already been rounded up and put in detention centers. I've heard these detention centers are disgusting. They, uh, like, they're like they akin to a private prison. Um, you know, can, can, I mean, how do we do this? I mean, is this physically even possible uh, with the backlog that we have? Or are we just going to be taking people out of our economy um, out of our workforce, out of our neighborhoods and our schools, and, you know, throwing them into some facility that's very costly uh, to operate for years. Well, uh, again, um, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's possible uh, that a Trump presidency, that the people that, you know, maybe less Donald Trump and more the people he surrounds himself could, could uh, devise strategies to move people out of the country faster, deny them an opportunity to get in front of an immigration judge, you know, to, to pursue expedited removal uh, or reinstatement of removal proceedings that, that, you know, turn our immigration courts even into even more of a kangaroo court. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that, those things are possible, but only if we sit back and do nothing, only if we're, if we're silent. I mean, let's remind ourselves that still a majority of the population despite the electoral victory, a majority of the population 
you know, did uh, disagree with uh, the Trump policy proposals uh, that he submitted. And the question I think we all have to ask ourselves now is, are we prepared back to sit back and do nothing now? Uh, because, as I said before, he has a lot of authority. Uh, it is possible for the people he appoints to do some pretty bad things. Um, but it's only possible if we sit back and do nothing and allow that to happen. Um, so it's interesting I, you say that. I heard uh, somebody call into a talk show in Los Angeles today, and they said if we see them putting families or even individuals on buses and they start driving down the street, we will stop them. And I thought... I got I got chills for two reasons. One, I hope that is true in my America. But history <clears throat> has proven to me, unfortunately, that human beings talk a lot or spineless when action uh, push comes to shove. En masse, unfortunately. Uh, we saw that in World War II. People knew what was happening. People knew it was wrong. And people much like that character in Hogan's Heroes, Schultz, I see nothing, I see nothing. Uh, let's uh, let's take some calls. 8886 Leslie, 888-653-7543. Reggie is in uh, Decatur, Georgia, on line three. He has a question. Quickly, Reggie, due to time, what's your question for our guest, Ben Johnson? Well, how exactly the hell is uh, our future president-elect Donald Trump going to be able to uh, deport all of these undocumented workers? I mean, number one, it's impossible Two, he can't do it. And three, we don't have the resources to do it. Okay, so you're saying it's impossible physically. I mean, we just don't have the money to pay for like the gas and the trucks and the planes and the automobiles, and we don't have the funds. It's a fair question. What do you say, Benjamin? I think that is right. I think, you know, the effort to try to hunt down and, and rip out of communities around the country 11 million you know, family members and workers and all of that, that's, you know, that is not only requires an enormous deportation force, it, it requires, you know, enormous or would involve enormous disruption to communities and economies. Again, I think, Leslie, to your point, though, is how far down that road are we going to allow them to get? Uh, you know, so no, they, they probably can't overnight detect and, and hunt down 11 million undocumented, but if we're not vigilant in in standing up for the values that we believe define this nation, then they could wreak havoc on the lives of hundreds of thousands, potentially a million people. So I guess it comes back to, again, Leslie, to your question of you know, how long are we willing to remain silent? If we remain silent for long enough, eventually, you know, over time, this could be accomplished through, you know, through, through the slow, steady, uh, uh, you know, evisceration of our, of our values as a nation. Love having you on. I'm sure we'll have you on again. We certainly have had people from your great organization with us, and uh, more than a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for all that you do. Is there a phone number, Benjamin, that you um, want people to reach out to? If not your place, is there maybe some kind of a hotline that is in place or is being established so that people out there who, like you said, get help, you know, get an immigration lawyer that they could call? We don't have a national hotline set up yet. I suspect that will, you know, happen soon. Now, okay. I think, you know, people in communities around the country, there are places to go for help. Um, and, you know, I t- turn to, you know, the Internet, and, and you'll, you'll find in your community organizations that are working uh, to provide legal advice and provide information uh, to, to, to counteract the fear that seems to be uh, the dominant uh, mood of the country right now. 
Thank you very much. Benjamin Johnson, Executive Director of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Go to their website, AILA.org, to find out more, especially if you're in the D.C. area. That's where they are. On Twitter, follow them at A-I-L-A-E-X-E-C-D-I-R. That's specifically for Benjamin. A-I-L-A-E-X-E-C-D-I-R. In other words, um, ILA, Executive Director. I-L-A-I-L-A, Executive Director.